It's nice to be back in Jersey, even if only virtually. I'm coming to you from the elegant uh, suite that I have here at the uh, Chateau de la Hampton uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. We um, actually have been here with our some of our Native American leaders, the staff and the students at the New Leadership Center. Uh, and uh, they have been, I've really been helping them and, and supporting them as they have led ministry at and been ministered to at Moody Bible Institute and now at Wheaton College where our daughter goes and my son's money. And uh, I want to thank the musicians. What a fabulous start to the Christmas season, huh? Um, you guys were violating the DDM code of the Musicians Union, however, this morning. The DDM code is don't do mornings. And guys, didn't they do a great job? I mean, this is early morning. And what a fabulous uh, job that was. And I am very um, jealous of you all. How many of you, did you guys have Jersey bagels this morning? Raise your hand. I can see the audience right now. Yeah, see, um, I, I, I really miss those. I'm expecting someone to send me a dozen. So best I could do, I got a green donut from Dunkin' Donuts with red sprinkles. Uh, definitely a consolation prize. If you happen to be new this morning, you should be very concerned. I was invited by Matt Wolf. Do you see him there this morning? Nope. What does that tell you when the guy who invites you isn't there? You know, that, that make must... What does he know that you don't know? <laughs> no, I'm sure it's for good reason. I miss Matt this morning. Matt has actually been very instrumental in the design uh, of our uh, of our leadership center. So he's uh, we've worked together a lot this past year. Uh, I want to start this morning by um, going back to I, I was just with my daughter, a granddaughter Noel. Just said goodnight to goodbye to her uh, at uh, Wheaton College, where she's got her December papers due and, and exams to, to look into. Um, she Her mom is full-blood Navajo, and so she is part of our On Eagles Wings team and was instrumental in organizing an event last night at uh, Wheaton College. Um, she's just a freshman, but it was cool. But I was thinking back to when she was, uh, she was three years old and her, the family was uh, on the reservation, the Hopi reservation in Arizona where uh, both our sons were missionaries uh, with doing pioneer youth ministry there for a number of years. Uh, and one day, Noel, and now if you're a firstborn or you know a firstborn, actually it has to be one or the other, um, and then you'll understand this. She came into the living room with her Wiggles backpack on, loaded with books. Now, she's only three years old. I think she was already preparing for Wheaton. Uh, and she she said, she said, Daddy, it's too heavy. <laughs> and, and Daddy said, well, honey, uh, why don't you let Daddy take that uh, for you? And she said, no, I can carry it. And so she kept uh, straining along with her backpack. And she took a few more steps. And finally, she said, Daddy, I can't carry it anymore. And so Doug very easily, of course, took it off of her back. And he said, how's that, honey bear? And she said, it's all better now, daddy. It's all better. 
I tell you that story because that scene has been reenacted between God and me more times than I can count. And maybe between you and God as well. Because I've insisted on carrying my load. And he said, why don't you let me take that? No, I can carry it. Poor Noel. She, it was unnecessary pain, unnecessary burden. There was somebody stronger that wanted to take it. And for a while there, she insisted on carrying it. I remember the first Bible verse I ever memorized. Some of you may know our story. Our family didn't talk about Jesus. I never heard about him at my, in our little apartment on the south side of Chicago until my baby brother died. And my dad was so heartbroken. He didn't go to church, but he took me to one. And he'd stay there in his car and wait for me to come out. And uh, I... Uh, I remember vividly uh, the day I came to Christ and told my dad that, and later he did, and later my mom did. I got a brand new mom and dad out of the deal. But um, it, was, uh, it was interesting that I remember Judith Anderson. To me, she looked like a very old lady, but she was very happy. The, you know, the, the people that attract children because they got a, there's a joy about them. She was one of them. And she taught me Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Now, it was in the King Jimmy version, so, uh, you know, that's, that's all we had then, and uh, it was on stone tablets, of course, because I was young, but it's, here's the verse I learned, Matthew eleven twenty eight. come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the next verse, Jesus explains that it's rest for your souls. Well, I didn't know. Why? What was that? Why did I know about being weary and heavy laden when I'm a little kid, right? Oh, I know a lot about it now. So do you. You know a lot about carrying a heavy load. You know a lot about being weary. Here's what I want to share with you, because it's going to come right out of the well of my experience these last couple of years. I wrote it down this way. I said, how your load can be heavy and your spirit be light. I'm learning about that. Jesus said, come to me. He didn't say, you won't, you won't be carrying a heavy burden anymore. What he said was, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest in your soul. So my first memory verse, obviously, I know that he can do that. I'm guessing that every man in the room right now have some kind of a battle you're going through. It's just the nature of life. If we went around the room, somebody's having a medical battle. Somebody's having a battle for their marriage. Somebody has a battle because of a concern for a child or a grandchild. Somebody's got a, a financial battle that's a heavy load for you right now. Um, Someone there has a broken heart. That's your burden. Someone's got a broken relationship or a breaking relationship that matters to you. Um, someone's struggling with an addiction, a dark addiction that maybe nobody knows about. Um, maybe your battle uh, is 
depression. Or maybe you just got an overload. And what your responsibilities are right now have taken you beyond your bandwidth. I've been living there a lot in recent days, beyond the bandwidth. There are five words, five words that are going to be what I hope you take away today. They're right out of the Bible. And these five words are the secret of having a heavy load, but having a spirit that's light. Um, let's go to, and, and I'm just going to, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You all know the story of David and Goliath, but we're going to find the five words. They are load lightning words. They are burden lifting loads. They are stress reducing words. Believe me, when I hang on to them, everything changes in here. Not the load, but the heart does. Here's the deal. David goes up against Goliath when everybody else is in retreat. He has intimidated everybody else, all the professional soldiers. David, the shepherd boy, you know, comes with his little slingshot and uh, has a little rock concert uh, there with uh, Goliath. But listen to what he says as Goliath taunts him. And he comes against in, uh, Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 47. And um, he says these words, and it might be good if I was in the right book of the Bible. Um, just one second. He says, you have defied the armies of the living God. And he talks about how the Lord has rescued him in the past. And uh, then I, um, I love these words right here. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spirit, spear that the Lord saves for, and here comes the five words. Learn them, because I'm going to ask you to say them in a minute. The battle is the Lord's. This is not my battle. The battle is the Lord's. Let's make that personal. I'm going to ask you to say the battle is the Lord's after each of these phrases I'm going to give you. And uh, here, here's the first one. When the load is overwhelming, the battle is the Lord's. That's right. When the time is running out, Yep. Thank you. When the odds are overwhelming. The battle is the Lord's. Yeah. When the resources aren't there. The battle is the Lord's. Yeah. When I'm out of options. The battle is the Lord's. When there's nowhere to turn. Feels good to say those words, doesn't it? Amen. We're going to Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's our real home this morning for the next few minutes. A story that I love and I've, I've been digging into the last uh, day or two here uh, again and thinking, this is just such good stuff. And what does this look like to carry a heavy load with a light spirit 
and be victorious internally, how, what does this look like? And to live as if the battle is the Lord's. Second Chronicles 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. I don't know, um, I, don't, I suppose not many of you named a child after him. I don't know what his nickname was. What, what's the nickname for Jehoshaphat? Hosh? Fat? Not probably not. <laughs> Your Majesty King Fat. I don't think so. Jehoshaphat, Hosh, whatever the, he was, listen to his battle in his day. It says in verse 2, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Now, this was an all-out allied offensive against Judah, and Jehoshaphat gets the news, this overwhelmingly large, in fact, the Hebrew word basically means really big. <laughs> it's really a big army. In fact, I looked and I found the words of vast army like five times in the story. They just keep talking about the vast army, the vast army. I don't know what your vast is. The vast, I got mine. Well, whatever it is, here's, here's how we come against it. There are three factors. You ready? We're going to talk about the prayer. We're going to talk about the problem. And we're going to talk about the plan. The prayer, the problem, and the plan. And uh, how does Jehoshaphat respond to this? Well, it says in the next verse, alarmed. Yeah, I guess. This is an army he does, he does not, the odds are against them being able to militarily prevail and keep the kingdom. So it says he is alarmed. Where does he go with his alarm? Well, guys, we're all... We all use the men's room. We're all guys. We, we're going to make it happen. We're going to figure it out. We're going to fix it. Well, I'm speaking for myself. I'll have a plan here. Hold on. I'll figure out a plan. Nope. Listen to his first resort. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Is that your first resort? Too many times because I'm I'm a make it happen person. My first resort is to get busy and try to fix it myself. His first resort is to inquire of the Lord, God, what do you? What's your plan here? Now we're going to take a look at this prayer because it is a it is a blueprint for battlefield praying, whatever battlefield you are on right now. This is a battlefield prayer. This is what it looks like. First of all, let me just let me start into it. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, including the vast army nations that are coming against us. First step in, in battlefield praying is not about your problem. It's God's sovereignty. He says, you rule, they don't. This army will not decide our fate. This disease will not decide our fate. This virus will not decide our fate. This uh, economy will not decide our fate. The boss will not decide our fate. Some political situation will not decide our fate. 
It says, you, God, rule over all the rulers. You will have the final word. That's the start of a great prayer. Not with you, not Lord help, but Lord, I want to remember who you are. In fact, if you read the prayer, count the number of times you read the word you or your about God, some reference of God to God himself, or he calls him by name. I counted 15 times in four verses. He doesn't talk about the vast army. 15 times in four verses, he talks about God's sovereignty. That's where you start. Secondly, he goes on to say, power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. So secondly, is God's supreme power. Second theme of a great battlefield prayer. First is God's sovereignty. Second is God's supreme power. And then, uh, then he goes on to say, didn't you drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it, have built in it a sanctuary for your name. So the third theme is God's supernatural history. He's like, wait a minute, let's stand back from the situation we're in the middle of right now. Let's stand back and see the big canvas, not just this dot that I'm, I'm, I'm just obsessed with that I got to figure out right now. But if I stand back and I look at your history in my life, what am I worrying about here? Have you ever failed me? Have you ever not come through? Has there ever been anything too hard for you? You see, you're beginning to get a whole new perspective. When you started the prayer, the vast army looks so big. As you continue to pray this way, it's your vast God who looks so much bigger than the vast army. It even changes your prayer in the middle of it. Now, here's an interesting ingredient in this prayer. He says, if calamity comes, well, he's recognizing that there, are, there might not be a great outcome here. If calamity comes, whether uh, the sword of judgment or a plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And uh, a, a little later, um, he says uh, in verse 11, uh, let me get that. Um, they are coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us. Here's an interesting ingredient in battlefield praying situational realism faith is not denial of the of the size of the problem he says we do have a big problem here god now remember he's been all the way through god's sovereignty god's god's supreme power god's supernatural history and then he's got some situational realism here that's okay he, he and i can show you other prayers where the one who is praying talks about the size of the issue. Faith is not denial of how big the problem is. But here's what he says. Even if all that, if the worst outcome comes, he said, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. We'll cry out to you in our distress. You will hear us and you will save us. Stubborn trust. That's the final ingredient. The final theme in a battlefield prayer that prevails. 
is to say, whatever the outcome, I will be found standing with you. Why stubborn trust? Let's go back. You are sovereign. You have the supreme power. And you have that supernatural history. So let me summarize. Oh, Annette, I love this. Here is one of the great prayers of the Bible. It, write down the reference if you, if you are, have, are taking notes. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. We have no power. When does it? takes a while for a guy to come to that conclusion. We have no power over this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So it goes like this. You rule. No power. Eyes on you. You rule. No power, not here, but our eyes upon you. Let's do that. Let's do that. You need a little exercise at this point. You ready? You rule. No power, but our eyes are upon you. That is battlefield praying. That's the prayer. Let's talk about the problem. You know what your biggest enemy is? It's not the medical, financial, marital, family, whatever thing, the overload. No, that's not the biggest problem. That's not your biggest enemy. Let's go. Let's keep going through the story. In Second uh, Chronicles 20 and verse 18, it says, this is what the Lord says to you, Jehoshaphat. Do not be... Anybody want to guess what the next word is? Afraid. That's the most common command in the Bible. The most repeated command is fear not, including in the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. Here we go. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Fear is your biggest enemy. When the load is heavy, the army is vast, and the battle is daunting. I know that because I think I've made my biggest mistakes in my life when I've decided out of fear. Because when fear is the basis of your decision of how to respond, you either respond with panic and do stuff that makes the problem worse, or with paralysis, and you don't face the problem. You keep, you keep postponing it, you keep running from it, and it keeps growing. You respond with control freak. You're okay, oh boy, it, it's out of control. I need to control even more. I need to hold on. No, battle is not yours. Stop it. And maybe you've just, you're, you've, you've tried to eat more and more to control and to fix and make it happen. And the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Fear is the biggest enemy. More than the foe, fear is the enemy that, that, that does the most damage. But I want to talk about the plan. Based on what we have just read, and the battle is the Lord's, let's talk about the steps in a plan for peace under pressure. That would be PUP. The pup plan, peace under pressure. Um, and here, oh, there's a little, little, little thing in here. I just wanted to read to you. Let me find the verse. Um, in verse 13, uh, when, when Joshua says, we have no power, um, you rule, uh, you know, we have no power, our eyes are upon you. He says, uh, it says, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. I love this. The men were men. And they stood and they led the wives and the children in saying, we will stand in the presence of the Lord. They are the spiritual leaders as the vast army is approaching. The guys are being what men ought to be. The spiritual models the spiritual examples. I love that. Just a little side light, no extra charge. Now let's talk about the plan. First of all, stop worry at the door. The byproduct of fear is worry. It is the opposite of believing the battle is the Lord's. You know, three times, in just a few verses, in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus says these words, do not worry. It is not a suggestion. It is not an advice. It is a command. You must directly disobey God in order to worry. That's our first response. When things are out of control, we worry. The Greek word in the, in the, uh, the New Testament for worry is marimnao. You know what it means? It means pulled apart, divided. That's what worry does. It pulls you apart. It distracts you from the battle is the Lord's. Our eyes are not upon you. My eyes are on my problem. My eyes are on the vast army. Do not worry. Jesus said that worry chokes the word of God in you and makes it unfruitful. Literally, the word of God takes backseat and worry drives. Corey Tenboom, um, the um, marvelous, inspiring woman who survived the Nazi concentration camps, uh, said this, and, I, and I, I love what she said about worry, and all I need to do is find it here. Here it is. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. Yep. Divides you up, distracts you from where your source of strength is. Do you know what worry does? It rewrites the Bible verse. The battle is Ron's. That's when I worry. I changed it from the battle is the Lord's. You are 
when you're worrying, it's because you think the battle is yours. If the battle is the Lord's, stop worry at the door. Don't let it take over. What did Jesus say? Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be afraid. You got to give worry and fear permission to take you over. Stop it, Jesus said. Don't let it. Here's the second part of the plan. Fight the battle with praise. <laughs> you ready for this? Here's the strategy for taking on this vast army. This is almost amusing, unless you were there then. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. They praised the Lord. This is an interesting way to get ready for a battle. The God of Israel with a very loud voice. The next day, Jehoshaphat appoints men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. So the choir director says, hey guys, we got a concert tomorrow. We do? Great, where are we gonna sing? <laughs> he says, oh, on the battlefield, we're going first. What? Yeah. We're sending the choir in first? We're going we're gonna to be singing praise the Lord as the arrows are flying? He says, we're going into the, the instructions of God were going to the battle with praise. Yep. Those are still his instructions. That's what that prayer is all about. So you've got a big God, not a big battle. You've got a God bigger than any enemy, any bully you're going up against. you got a big father going in, much bigger father going in with you. A friend of mine who's a neurosurgeon, his, his daughter got married, and not long after she got married, her husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. It took him two years to die. Every day she went to the hospital in a brutal vigil. Her dad said, honey, how is it that you keep being victorious day after day, watching her husband slip away? She said, daddy, every morning when I get in the car, I turn up praise to Jesus as loud as I can, and I crank it up and blast it. Because I know there's one place Satan will never be. And that is in praises to Jesus. That's the secret right there. Go into the battle. Fight the battle with praise. Thirdly, wait for his orders. Jehoshaphat did not go running off trying to figure out how to win this battle. He inquired of the Lord. And he waited, and by the way, the orders were kind of strange, but he waited for orders. If there's one thing we all lost during COVID and all of the things that came out of the pandemic, I'll tell you one thing everybody lost was certainty. These days, the word plan is no longer written in ink. It's written in pencil. 
because it's still uncertain but for many reasons. A, a nuclear world, a, a, an economically a turbulent world, uh, there's so much going on. Well, here's the secret. It's in Isaiah 30 and uh, verse 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 21. And it simply says, when you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear, will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. In order for you to lead in our world today, in order to lead your family, in order to lead your business, in order to be the thermostat when everybody else is being the thermometer blowing hot and cold, in order to be the thermostat, you have to listen in order to lead. And listen to that Holy Spirit prompting. When you've invited Christ into your life, you have Jesus there. You have, through the Holy Spirit, the, direct, the direction of God. This is the way. Walk in it. Get good at listening to that. If he tells you to send somebody an email, do it. If he says, stop what you're doing and, and call so-and-so or text them. Do something, do put somebody needs your encouragement right now. It's happening to me more and more and more. And I'm a I'm a I'm a list guy. I'm a I'm a get your list done, cross it off. And he says, skip your list, Ron. That's not your Lord. I am. Right now, I want you to give so-and-so a call. They need that. And as you listen, you'll be able to lead. And by the way. Don't be surprised if you get some unconventional orders, but wait, wait till he gives you orders. When we started building the leadership center for Native Americans to launch young Native Americans into leadership for their people, the Lord said to me, knowing, knowing me, and I wrote it in my journal, these words, I'm doing this, Ron, when I want you to do something, I'll let you know. Until then, you leave it to me. And that's counterintuitive for me to just wait and let him do it. But the battle is the Lord's. So you know how, what kind of orders he gives? What does he tell David? You're facing a giant? Sling a rock. <laughs> You're facing the walls of Jericho? Sound trumpets, really? <laughs> um, when you um, when you're crossing a flooded Jordan River into the Promised Land, stand in the river, really? <laughs> uh, when you're facing a vast army, Jehoshaphat, send the choir. <laughs> but his orders will be unconventional, but they are the plan for victory. Let me give you a last one. And this is the toughest one of all. Surrender your Messiah card. I have a good friend who's a Seneca pastor, has been a pastor to his very spiritually hostile and resistant tribal people for... Um, 30 years. 
everybody seeks him out. He's he's the light in the, in his tribe. And somebody came to him one day and said, you know, I, I want to give you five words that were from John the Baptist. I am not the Messiah. You don't need to fix everybody. You don't need to be everybody's answer. Those are liberating words. It's the difference between a rowboat and a sailboat. Rowboat, it moves based on your effort. If it's a sailboat you've got, you catch the wind. You set your sail to catch the wind to let it take you where you're going. A lot of us approach life like we got to do all the rowing. I'm learning to be a sailor these days and put my sail up in the direction that God's going and let him take me where he wants to go. Guys, the secret of peace is release. It's to let it go. This is not the kind of surrender that's giving up. Like, no, no, it's not give up surrender. It's giving it over because the battle is the Lord's. By the way, the battles, guys, serve a very important eternal purpose. They expose our need for a savior. When you get to the point where you say, I'm not enough, I can't be my own savior. This, this is beyond me. One of the writers of the Bible said, when I, the, the good I want to do, I don't do. What I do is the evil that I hate. Why do I continue to do the things that hurt the people I love? That break God's heart? Why am I like this? And then he said, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this bondage to sin and death? And then he said, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I just want to say to one of the men there today, and I don't know who it is. You'll know. When the battle's really intense, it reveals that you may have a religion about Jesus but maybe not a relationship with him. And that relationship begins when a man says, Jesus, what you did on the cross, you're dying there, is paying the death penalty and taking the hell for the sinning I have done. And Jesus, I have one hope of heaven. It is not my religion. It's not my effort. For the ultimate battle was fought at a cross where Jesus said as he died, it is finished. Not I am finished. It is finished. Everything you would ever need to have your sin forgiven and to guarantee you heaven was done. 
at the moment Jesus died out of his love for you. Three days later, he walked out of his grave under his own power. Is there anything he cannot take care of in your life? He's already conquered death. It might just be that today is the day that you cross over from religion to relationship by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I need a savior. My battles have shown me that. When I was uh, just a couple of days ago with our Native American young people, I was standing on the next to Lake Michigan, the lake I almost drowned in when I was 10 years old. Yeah, I was going out with my buddies and I was too proud to tell them I couldn't swim. And I, and I, they, they went deeper than I should have gone and I was going under. They thought I was goofing off. I can remember the terror of it like it was yesterday. And I was drinking the lake under the second time. Not a thing I could do for myself. Thrashing around. Man from the shore saw that and came out. And thank God that day he came and I grabbed him like he was my only hope and he grabbed me. He was my rescuer. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. To say, I cannot help me. I cannot solve my sin problem. I have one hope, and it is the Jesus who left the safety of heaven to come, and in his case, die so we could live. When Jehoshaphat bows down, it says he did it with his face to the ground. As we wrap up, I talked to a guy who had five black belts in five different martial arts. He said, Ron, I can defend myself in every position but one. Face down, on the ground, I'm defenseless. I have no power there. Isn't it interesting that Jehoshaphat got in the position where he was powerless? My brother, that's the most powerful position a man can be in, is to be out, say, before God, I have no power, but my eyes are upon you. That kind of surrender is the kind of surrender that wins, not loses. So be encouraged. Your battle is the Lord's. The breakthrough that you could never pull off, he can. So your battle and your load right now is not a pit to swallow you. It's a platform for God to amaze you. It's time to talk to him. Let's pray together. Before I pray, if, um, if you're not sure you've ever begun a relationship with Jesus and taken the gift that he purchased with his life called eternal life, 
Would you do that right now? You could just say, Jesus, I've been running my life and I'm done. You drive from now on. I believe when you were hanging on that cross, dying for people's sins, you were dying for mine. I believe you're alive. You walked out of your grave. Please walk into my life today. Beginning today, I'm yours. I'm yours. And now, Lord, for each man's battle, and including my own, this is our white flag moment. We surrender control. We surrender all of our proud, stubborn desire to be in charge. And we declare today the battle is the Lord's. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so my brother, I leave you with this. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For your vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And he's never lost. Thanks for listening. <laughs>